0: Welcome to News of the Times. This podcast is aimed for those with a passion for history and the human story. Through actual news articles of our past, I review the social media stories of their day, touching upon the lives, trends and world of the everyday person. I am Robin Coles and this is News of the Times. The time, 1839 to 1841. The headlines. The first photograph of the moon is taken by French photographer Louis Daguerre. The world's first commercial electric telegraph line comes into operation from London Paddington Station to West Drayton. Charles Goodyear, Vulcanizes rubber. <laughs> British colonists reach New Zealand, officially founding the settlement of Wellington. <laughs> Queen Victoria marries her cousin, Prince Albert of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. <laughs> Britain issues the Penny Black, the world's first postage stamp. The Slavery Abolition Act ends the slave trade in the United Kingdom. Britain occupies Hong Kong. Thomas Cook arranges his first railway excursion in England. Chimney Sweepers and Chimneys Regulation Act prohibits the employment of children under the age of 12 as chimney sweeps. Vaccination Act provides for free vaccination for the poor. The smallpox epidemic of 1837 to 1840 ends, leaving more than 41,600 dead. Our headline story, an excerpt from the Warwick and Warwickshire Advertiser in November... 1840. The Treatment of the Insane in Lunatic Asylums. An interesting discussion took place a day or two ago among the Middlesex Magistrates respecting the treatment of patients in Hanwell Lunatic Asylum. Mr. Sergeant Adams, Chairman of the Middlesex Magistrates, commenced by saying it was well known that he had taken an active part in the welfare and concerns of the Hanwell Lunatic Asylum. That the subject of lunatic asylums must be brought before Parliament ere long, there could not be the least doubt. He had been a visitor of other asylums than that which belonged to the county in which they were assembled, and there he had seen unfortunate lunatics in chains and manacles, in numbers to such an extent as to shock "'most deeply the feelings of humanity. "'He has been told that patients "'had been permitted to remain for days together "'in a state of nakedness "'and had been locked up in dark rooms. "'In reply he begged to say "'that at Hanwell there were no dark cells. "'In reality they had no dark cells "'or cells of any kind in the building.' But there were, what the doctor terms, secluded rooms, into which patients were put into seclusion when seclusion was deemed necessary for the peculiarity of the malady with which they might be afflicted. But they were not so dark, but that any person who had been in them for five minutes might read a paper. One of the obstacles and difficulties was the construction of the building itself the refractory wards, for instance, being so large as to contain as many as 70 patients in each, a number which must mitigate against the well-working of the system. He had had conversations with several physicians, all of whom said, if the committee failed in favourably carrying out the plan of non-restraint at Hanwell, for the clamour which was raised against them was very great they would rivet the chains and manacles of the unfortunate maniacs for the next twenty years to come. Would the court now allow him to detail to them some instances of what is termed mild restraint? He had seen within the last fourteen days a man, he would not say in what asylum it was, but he had gone there on the recommendations of a gentleman who was an acknowledged advocate of mild restraints, who was in heavy manacles. Within the last month in another asylum, whither he had been sent by a gentleman of great benevolence, because he said the asylum was well conducted, and he had seen three young women who were bound fast down to their beds, with their hands passed through rings, so that they were utterly incapable of moving, and yet such treatment was called mild restraint. He had seen, too, a man who was manacled by the legs so tightly as only to be able to shuffle along the floor, in which state he had been for no fewer than ten years. The arms of the young woman were black and blue from the chains which had been placed around and upon them. He had seen in another county asylum said to be an asylum in which the system of mild restraint was practised, two men who had been chained to their beds for four years and a half, the one for having struck his keeper, the other because it was said that he had been tried of stabbing a man. Mr. Forbes suggested whether it would not be as well that these asylums were named. The chairman had no hesitation in doing so, The one was an asylum in the Isle of Wight, the other was the asylum in Maidstone in Kent. He had, in the latter, too, seen a female fastened into what was termed a cohesive chair, with a large cuirass of thick leather around her body, so tightly that as she moved she creaked. Her hands were pinioned before her, and on asking her, if she would like to be released, she answered that she would be grateful if her hands were to be freed. There was also between twenty or thirty others who were in different sorts of manacles for acts of mischief. At the Lancaster County Lunatic Asylum he had found no fewer than thirty or forty patients in cohesive chairs, all fastened to the floor of the rooms and holes pierced in them to render the removal of the unfortunate documents unnecessary for any domestic purpose. As to the Wakefield Asylum, the learned chairman said that he held in his hand a letter from a physician who had visited that asylum two or three years ago, and that he had found, therein, from seven to nine male patients who were strapped down to their beds in straight waistcoats, and that the reasons assigned for such treatment was that they could not otherwise be prevented from tearing their clothes, whilst in one instance the constraint had been enforced because they could not prevent the patient from spitting at persons approaching him. The physician went on to say that he had likewise found seven females seated in a row arm-chairs similar to those in Lancaster, the wrists of such patients being fastened to the arms of the apparatus, and that he should not have discovered the use and purpose of the chairs had not one of them been unoccupied. The governor of the Montrose Asylum had, he had the satisfaction of saying, declared in favour of the system of non-restraints. That of Leicester had done the same. Indeed, He was positive the more it became known the greater would be the number of persons who would declare themselves to be its advocates regarding non-restraints. From the Devises and Wiltshire Gazette, June 1839, Country News In consequence of the great number of hands now employed on the railway at Box and Corsham, Agricultural labourers at this season are certain of finding employment in those parishes and neighbourhoods. From the Windsor Journal, June 1839, Foresters in Green Considerable surprise was created on Tuesday and Thursday last in consequence of Her Majesty not having been preceded to the Ascot racecourse by the Foresters in Green. "'men who fill the offices of deer or park-keepers, "'and who have hitherto invariably preceded the royal cortege "'to the races during the last three reigns. "'It appears that in consequence of the shabby and worn-out state "'of their official habiliments, "'Lord Duncannon was written to and informed of this fact, "'the letter to his lordship stating that their clothes were not fitting to appear in before Her Majesty, and requesting new suits, might be provided for them. The answer returned to this application was, that no new attire could possibly be supplied to them, and that, if their dresses were too shabby to appear in, they might, if they pleased, stay away. And stay away they did." Advertisement from the Norwich Mercury, September 1840. Wanted in the general fancy trade. A young man of active habits and good address who can give satisfactory reference from his last employers. Letters postpaid addressed Z at Mr. George Southerns in Norwich. From the Morning Post, May 1830. The Earldom of Stirling. A Monday came on before the High Court of Judiciary, Edinburgh, the trial of Alexander Humphreys, of Alexander pretending to be the Earl of Stirling, accused of forgery, as also of using and uttering as genuine forged documents knowing them to be forged, as also fabricating documents knowing them to be forged, also fabricating false and simulate writings to be used as evidence, etc. He pleaded, not guilty. Advertisement from the Norwich Mercury, September 1840. Two journeyman millers wanted immediately in a watermill, a steady active man as a floor dresser who has a thorough knowledge of his business and will be willing to make himself generally useful. Also a stone man. None need apply unless they can give the most satisfactory characters from their last situations as to sobriety and qualifications. Address postpaid to Mr. William Norgate, West Lynne, Norfolk. From the Warwick and Warwickshire Advertiser, November 1840. Child placement. On Monday at Marlborough Street, Mary Ann Hartley, a child only six years of age, was placed at the bar, when a police constable stated that at a very late hour on Friday night last, he found the child crouching down on the steps of a door in Oxford Street, shivering with cold, wet through to the skin, and crying with hunger. On questioning her, she stated that she had been living with her aunt in Mary Street, Hampstead Road. Mr. Long said he remembered the child being brought before him on Saturday, and he then directed a police constable to take the child home to her aunt. Inspector Beresford said that the order had been strictly addended to. The police constable proceeded with the child to her aunt's, but she refused to receive her, alleging that she had a large family of her own and could not afford to keep other persons' children. Application was then made to the parochial offices of St. Pancras, but they refused to admit the child into the workhouse on the plea that, when found by the police, she was in the parishes of St. George, Hanover Square. Application was then made to the authorities of the latter parish, but they shifted the onus of affording any relief on the ground of the child having last slept at St. Pancras. "'It is really shameful that a mere infant should be banded about in this way. "'I direct that the police constable take the child to the St. George's parish "'where she was found, and acquaint them, that unless they receive her, "'as they are by law bound to do so, and find her legal settlement, "'I will write to the poor law commissioner on the subject.' Advertisement from the Devises and Wiltshire Gazette, June 1839. Melksham Union. All persons desirous of contracting with the Board of Guardians of this union for supplying the workhouse at Semington and or both of the undermentioned district with bread and flour from the 22nd day of June instant until and inclusive of the 22nd day of September next are requested to deliver sealed tenders at the boardroom Semington Workhouse by or before 10 o'clock on the forenoon of Tuesday 25th June instant. The bread and flowers to be the best seconds and to be delivered at the Workhouse and at other such places in the Union in such quantities and at such times as the Board of Guardians or the relieving officers may direct. From the Salisbury Journal, June 1839, Interesting Ceremony. An interesting ceremony was performed on the 3rd in the Wesleyan Chapel in this city in the public baptism of a female child, about eight years old, which was brought to this country by Mr. W. Davis, a Wesleyan missionary and a native of this city. We understand that the child, which was about to be sacrificed— in the idolatrous worship of the tribe to which it belonged, was purchased by Mr. D. in exchange for a cow and a goat. From the Warwick and Warwickshire Advertiser, November 1840, Caution, Respecting, Godfrey's Cordial On Monday, an inquest was held before Mr. Baker at the Prince of Orange, Philip Street, St. George's in the East on the body of Francis Albert Delt, aged three months, the son of a melter in the mint. It appeared that the deceased was a twin-child, and that he and his brother had been subject to convulsive screaming from their birth, to allay which the mother had been in the habit of administering to them Godfrey's cordial. The dose given to them was a teaspoon at a time. At first the cordial produced a good effect. On Wednesday night last, on going to bed, the mother gave each twin the usual dose, and between 3 and 4 a.m. in the morning she found the deceased dead by her side in bed. The other child was in an extremely drowsy state, but was recovered by prompt medical aid. There were no marks of violence on the body nor any to show that the deceased child had been overlaid. The medic who examined not being able to state positively the cause of death, the jury gave the following verdict. Found dead in bed, but there was no evidence to prove the precise cause of death. Advertisement from the Norwich Mercury, September 1840. Splendid performances of Signor Fragnopolopus, the great and natural ventriloquist from the principal theatres in Europe and Lady from the Strand Theatre London, has the honour to assemble to the inhabitants of Norwich that he will give seven evening performances at the assembly rooms, commencing this evening, Friday the 4th of September. The performances comprise a great variety of wonders in the cabalistic art and his extraordinary powers of natural ventriloquism and imitations. From the Monmouth Beacon, November 1840, Disgraceful Occurrence Yesterday morning, as the remains of an individual of this town were being carried to their last resting place in Monmouth Churchyard, they were followed by a large concourse of persons, who indulged in the coarsest expressions with references to the deceased, and in hootings, hissings, and groanings. They went so far as to threaten to tear the body from the coffin and throw it into the wire, which is likely that they would have done had not Mr Fuller, the inspector of the police, defended the coffins from the mob. It appears that the deceased, on his deathbed, being conscience-stricken, voluntarily made confession of some robberies which implicated other persons and caused... "'this violent feeling against him. "'From the Morning Post, May 1839, "'Crying Drunk, "'Mr Wakeley informed a jury yesterday "'that copious tears "'which are so frequently shed "'by persons in a maudlin state "'arise from a softening of the brain "'produced by habitual inebriety. "'In international news,' From the Courier-Swiss, February 1841. A woman was caught up by hurricane in the canton of Uli one day last month and carried through the air a space of two leagues. Her body was found, some days after, with all the bones broken. Advertisement from the Darlington and Stockton Times, December 1840. Patent Pedometers. Of superior workmanship and elegant construction, at Payne's, New Bond Street. Patent pedometers for the waistcoat pocket, for ascertaining the distance in walking. Pedometers for ladies. From the Morning Post, February 1841. Emigration to the United States. We have been favoured by one of our correspondents who had recently travelled through nearly all the United States as well as Canada, with a mind constantly alive to the welfare of the British emigrant, and seeking out those spots where the greatest amount of good would accrue to him. With the subjoined letter from one of the most intelligent agriculturists in the world, whose high respectability entitles his statements to the fullest confidence. Our correspondence is fully convinced that the long and severe winters of Canada and the northern states, and the diseases so prevalent for years after the first settlement of the prairies and lowlands of the far west, render them alike ineligible for the future homes of our countrymen. While the proximity of Delaware to the markets of the great Atlantic cities, with the cheapness of transportation, by the innumerable railroads, canals, and steamboats add new force to the advantages so simply yet so cogently set forth by Mr. Emerson. British or other white emigration to the fertile and salubrious state of Virginia would not only find the means for profitable settlement, but, as her Negro population is rapidly migrating to Texas And the South, it would hasten the process of emancipation now so ardently sought by many of her best citizens. Florida, the Montpellier of America, is admirably adapted to the culture of silk, by which great wealth will doubtless be realized there, as have been the case for the oranges and the olives. Nor must we omit Pennsylvania whose unlimited resources in coal and iron with a fertile soil and a temperate climate secure to her so large an ascension of the best emigrants each year. An excerpt to response regarding emigration. How much better and easier is such a plan for the European emigrant than going into the wild woods where the state of society is often extremely rude, the country undrained, and consequently more or less unhealthy, the roads almost impassable, and the difficulties attending upon raising and getting crops to market almost tenfold to what they are on our shores of our great bays. You have been listening to the News of the Times, 1839-1841, through 1841, and I am Robin Coles. Thank you for listening to News of the Times. New episodes incorporating a new span of time from history will be updated weekly. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and subscribe. You can also check out our sister channel, Simply Stories, found on all your favourite podcast apps.